1: to the DNVR Buffs Podcast, presented by the Colorado XOs. I'm Henry Chisholm. Today, we're going to talk about the NFL Draft. So, you're probably thinking, we just had the NFL Draft. It's over. Well, I was thinking it'd be fun to go back, look at... I mean, obviously, we know what happened with the Buffs, but what happened with the rest of the Pac-12? What happened with the rest of the conferences? And just kind of see how things stack up. Uh, Because sometimes it's an interesting way to look at... uh, where the talent is in college football. Um, I'm not really sure how long that's going to take. I was kind of looking back through the last, like, four or five years of classes, then even just, like, all the Pac-12 players in the NFL looking for trends. Really not many trends. Pac-12 produces talent on the offensive line, running back, corner, safety, like, basically all the positions about the way you'd expect. Um, But, yeah, we're going to run through this draft uh, see where the talent is, all that kind of stuff, um, and then get into next year's draft and who buffs-wise uh, could be uh, the, the the top targets or the people most likely to be headed to the NFL. Uh, so that's planned for the day. Should be a good time, and uh, we're going to dig into that right after I tell you a little bit more about our presenting sponsor, the Colorado XO's. So, the Colorado XOs are a rugby team. They're a new rugby team. They're 5-1 and one in their first season. They are basically just a bunch of athletes who've played a bunch of other sports, not rugby, who are learning how to play rugby. Okay, so I just hiccuped. If, if that's going to keep up today, this is, this is something I, I haven't really talked about here. There is nothing worse than having the hiccups when you have to do a podcast, especially when there's a time crunch. So, like, like it's 10.45 in the morning. I'm leaving for the airport at 11.45 or maybe pro- probably like noon. I, I should shoot for 11.45 and then just drive fast. Um, actually, I get to go to Jackson. I haven't seen my family in – so they sometimes listen to this. But I can't remember. I don't think I went home for Christmas. To be totally honest with you, I, I cannot figure it out. Um, and I should go back through like my pictures and see if that's a thing or like my tickets because it's going to be weird if I can't say like, has it been since Christmas or Thanksgiving? But yeah, it's, it's been a while since I've seen my family with, uh, you know, this the pandemic you've probably heard of. Um, but yeah, sister has a lacrosse tournament in Jackson, Wyoming. So that'll be a fun place to spend a few days. So that's going on. And also, I've got to stay on topic on this podcast, which obviously is going great. And uh, I have the hiccups. So that, that's one of those things where it's just like there's nothing you can do. You like if, if you just keep the hiccups going, nobody can scare me. I'm the only one talking, I can't hear you. Uh, but yeah, I hope that's over. The point is, the Colorado XOs, they're, they're a lot of fun. They're a rugby team. Um, like I said, here in Colorado, They're they're trying to teach people rugby, not people like elite athletes rugby, so that they can be on the U.S. national team, which trains at the exact same facilities. It's cool stuff. Follow along with DMVR Rugby on Twitter, the DMVR Rugby podcast, or uh, the written content at thedmvr.com. Okay, so the draft. Um, we just for Colorado. It was disappointing. Um, Will Sherman. He's somebody who landed in a great spot. You know, going to the Patriots, that's what you want. I think, I think for any, any draft prospect, that should kind of be the dream. Um, you know, there, there's other good landing spots too, but you just look at what the Patriots have achieved over such a long period of time. You know, they're known for hitting on their draft picks, and, and some of that is them having a good scouting department and by drafting someone, giving their okay on them, You know, that could just mean you're a good football player to start with. But you have to look at what they've done and say they know how to develop players. And they know how to turn the bottom of their roster into contributors, which, again, is what you want if you're a prospect. What you want is to be able to go out there and put some good film on so that whether they want you back or not, somebody's going to sign you and you can continue your career. It's just so... It's not so rare for the Patriots to miss on a pick. You know, you look back at like, like Nikhil Harry. He hasn't done all that much yet, but I guess there's still time. It's just a really good landing spot, um, and it's it's it makes you think that things are going to pan out, um, which is which is a good feeling. Mustafa, on the other hand, Mustafa Johnson, the other person who or other buff who I thought should be drafted. Um, he's still looking for a home, which, know. Uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. You know, if you would ask me before the draft, who's going to go first, Mustafa or Will, I would say Mustafa goes first. Um, and obviously Will has a couple of things on him, but Will's also changing positions. Uh, there isn't a lot on tape. I mean, there's nothing on tape of him playing guard or center, only left tackle or right tackle. You think that you should be able to make the switch and all that for sure, but there are some of those little question marks that linger with Will, um, just because he wasn't a perfect fit the position he was playing. Mustafa, on the other hand, you know he's short. He's six feet tall. He's listed six feet tall. He might be even just a little bit under that. And that, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's the same thing that has held him back at at every level. Not held him back. Held him back from opportunities. Um, you know, he he was dominant in high school. Didn't get a Division one offer. Wound up going to Juco. And remember, didn't get a Division I offer probably because he's short. Winds up going to Juco. He's incredibly productive there. And that's how he gets into a Division I school, is by being so productive there. Then he becomes a three year starter at Colorado, puts up big numbers. You know, there were a couple of things that weren't so great. You know, the the injuries come to mind, that kind of stuff. But for the most part, he has done the best that he can with the opportunities he's been given you you look at the advanced stats the, the pressure rate that sort of thing you can compare him with just about anybody in college football now there there is something to being big when you're playing football and and who knows maybe this is the jump you know not it wasn't the jump from high school football to JUCO from JUCO to D1 maybe it's the jump from D1 to the NFL where you know you just can't do it he just plays with such good leverage, has such quick feet. It, You know, it's, it's kind of the strength of his game is, is that he is a little bit smaller. And, and you know, that that does mean you don't like him so much as a run stuffer. You know, on, on third and short, you don't want him out there in the middle of your defense. And maybe not even on the side of your defense. Just because an NFL offensive lineman should be able to push somebody that size around. But... Those pass-rushing situations and the fact that he's putting on muscle and all that kind of stuff. And it was, again, was not a problem in college. I just think there's enough upside there, uh, especially as a pass rusher, which is so important for him to have a shot. Now, again, there was the report last week. or I guess not last week. This week, earlier this week, that he is going to be having a workout with the Jets. I can't remember if that was going to be in the next couple of days or if that's going to be next week um but that's on the way hopefully he gets an opportunity and you know the Jets aren't a bad landing spot either um not for the same reasons that the Patriots aren't a bad landing spot like like the Patriots are a good landing spot because they will turn you into a good football player the Jets are a good landing spot because there's so many jobs open um at least getting onto the practice squad should be manageable you know, just because it's the Jets. They are not a good football team. They're not. Um, So yeah, hopefully Mustafa gets a shot there too. But uh, yeah, so those are the buffs. We've talked about those guys though. Um, What I want to do is talk about this whole conference because there is a lot going on. And like I said earlier, I kind of went into this looking for like a trend, you know, whether it's, just this year, over the last few years, something like that that says like, here is where the NFL sees value in the Pac-12, whether it's at running back, whether it's the offensive line, defensive line. Um, I, I had some guesses. You know, you, you think of the skill position players, uh, the quarterbacks, of course. Um, with uh, with this pipeline from the Pacific Islands, really, into the Pac-12 I thought, like in the trenches, you could see something. For the most part, though, it's it's all balanced, and maybe there's something there, but it doesn't jump out enough, at least for me to see, by running through just looking at who's been drafted. Um, what is interesting, though, is how the Pac-12 stacks up against other conferences. Um, so let's just jump in at the top. The conference that produced the most NFL draft picks this year, not a surprise. The SEC was 65. From there, you've got the Big Ten with 44, ACC with 42, Pac-12 with 28, uh, and then the Big 12 bringing up the back end of the Power 5 with 22. Um, to be honest, that's about what you expect. It is about what you expect. Um, maybe not such a big difference between the SEC and you know the, the second-place league. Um, maybe not quite so many from the ACC, but this is obviously the, the, the year that one of the years where Clemson really carries them. Um, not because like, uh, it's not like the end of the dynasty. What it is, is just like the end of the Trevor Lawrence era. And because of that, you you obviously have Trevor Lawrence, who's a, a top pick, the top pick, but I don't want to say like, he's carrying other guys with him or they've been like riding on his coattails. But when you look at a running back like Travis Etienne, who's a pass catcher, there's, there's no doubt that Trevor Lawrence helped him get to this point. And so, because you've had this transcendent talent at quarterback, the rest of your roster comp kind of plays up a little bit. This should be one of the years where the Clemson puts a lot of guys in the draft and kind of carries this pac 12. Um or sorry, this ACC. Uh, and so that's, that's what I see. When I see that 42 versus 28 for the Pac-12, 22 for the Big 12. Big 12, by the way, didn't even have a first-round draft pick, which is kind of crazy. But yeah, that's how things stack up. And then then from there, just because it's kind of interesting. Like I said, Big 12 ended the Power 5 with 22. Then you've got the AAC with 19. Independent with 15. And it actually doesn't say how exactly they're counting it i assume that independent includes notre dame it's tough to believe that they could get to 15 without notre dame but because notre dame played with the acc last year you could really count it either way and i've seen it counted different ways from there so like i said independent with 15 then you get into everybody else uh the conference usa with five the entire fcs with five the m or the mac with with four. Uh, the Mountain West with three. Division two and three actually combined for four. Sunbelt has three. Um, so, that's kind of what you're looking at. Um, big takeaways, obviously. the You kind of have three tiers. SEC. And then Big Ten and ACC. And then Pac-12 and Big 12. Again, what is Clemson next year? They're, they're still going to be good. Are they going to drop a couple of games and not be a national contender? Because... The ACC is in front of the PAC 12 and the big 12 in terms of just like my conference power rankings without Clemson. They are, they are not close though. And obviously that's not how it works. It's like people talk about John Elway. It's like, he's a bad GM and it's like, well, he did win a super bowl. And in like 10 years as a GM, that's a pretty good result for 10 years. It's like, well, if you take away the super bowl, what else they do, do? And it's like, well, Nobody ever, ever, ever will be taking that away from me, so that is irrelevant. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see what happens with the ACC going forward. Um, but yeah, those those tiers, and then the AAC right there behind the Big Twelve, kind of interesting. Um, from there, though, I want to get into some of the details with the Pac twelve. Um, so so like the Pac twelve sends out a, a release after the draft, a, a bunch of their notes. Um, to to the media, and let's just run through some of those because there's some good stuff. Uh, first of all, there were three first-round picks out of the Pac-12. Penny Sewell goes 7th overall, the Oregon offensive tackle to Detroit. Uh, USC's uh, offensive lineman Elijah Vera Tucker goes 14th to the Jets, and then Joe Tryon, the outside linebacker from Washington, goes 32nd to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um... Pac-12 has had at least three players chosen the first round in 11 consecutive drafts. Um, This was the second time in history that Oregon's had back-to-back top 10 picks. Um, Last year they had Justin Herbert go sixth overall. Um, Yeah, I think that's it for some of that stuff. Back-to-back years for USC, getting an offensive lineman in the first round. They had Austin Jackson there last year. And... Cool. Now we can get these other notes. Uh, Four defensive backs from Oregon drafted this year. Um, Tied for the most. Georgia also had four. Uh, That's uh, only the third time in the last 20 years that that has happened. So, you hear that and you think... Well, this Oregon defense, it should be it should be maybe just a little bit weaker with four pieces missing. Well, um, I can't remember if it's two or three of those guys that didn't play. But I'm pretty sure. So Thomas Graham, Brady Breeze didn't play. I'm pretty sure Diamador Lenore did play, but I'm not totally sure. And then the fourth, Javon Holland... Wow, now I'm losing. It was, it was two or three that didn't play. So it really isn't that big of a hit. I mean, it's, it's a hit, but it's a hit that they mostly uh, saw last year. Um, Detroit had, or they they chose four Pac-12 players. Uh, Penny Sewell, Levi Amuzurike, the defensive lineman from Washington. Um, Amonra St. Brown, the slot receiver from USC. And Jamar Jefferson, the running back from Oregon State. Kind of interesting to see who's interested in Pac-12 talent. You know that that would be one where it'd be fun to really dig in and see over like the last ten years who values the Pac-12 the highest and and who who mostly pulls from the SEC because I do think you find some trends there. Um, just because just like football fans see different things for those conferences. I think that NFL scouts are probably more on the money with their evaluations of the conferences, but everybody does see them a little bit differently and the level of competition, just a little bit differently and the, the way they play and how it translates to the next level on uh, just a little bit differently because the conferences do play a little bit different styles. You know, it, it's it's interesting hearing from I, I Carl Durrell. I can't remember who else was talking about this on the preseason media call with the coaches. But it was Carl and somebody else who basically made the same point saying like, I've spent a lot of time scouting college football because I've been working in the NFL. There's good talent everywhere. There is really good talent everywhere. And there really isn't that big of a difference between one league and the other. Um, now, of course, those guys are now in positions where they are biased. You know, they, they want to speak well of the Pac-12 because it is good for them personally and professionally, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't know. Just just kind of interesting. Uh, 10, Ten programs had at least one player drafted. Uh, we can run through those. So Oregon at five. Stanford at five. USC at five. Uh, then you've got Washington at four. Arizona, Oregon State, UCLA all at two. Arizona State, California, Colorado at one. And then Washington State and Utah, surprisingly, did not have anybody drafted. Again, it's a weird year. Really weird year. Because... You know, you do kind of expect to see differences in the numbers. And I don't know exactly what you'd expect those to be. You know, off the top of my head, I would say the best programs have more players drafted this year because of the pandemic, because players can go back for another year of eligibility, and players from those programs where, you know, you feel safe drafting somebody from Alabama. You know, you've seen so many good things happen. Like, if you're from Alabama, you are confident that you can just go. Um, if you're somebody, I guess Nate Lamon's a bad example because of the Achilles, but for a guy like Nate, what's stopping you from going back and doing it one more year? You know, it's not like Bama where there's a bunch of inside linebackers who could potentially take your job. Like, there's a bunch of inside linebackers. None of them are taking Nate's job. Bama, you, you just don't really know what's going to be around the corner. Um from there, again, they've just been on TV a lot. People feel comfortable drafting them. Um, I don't know. I mean, early round guys more likely to go out than late round guys, and I think you can feel more confident in being an early round guy if you're if you're at Bama or Ohio State or Clemson or one of those, and that kind of skews things. Um, a couple more notes. Um, Oh, actually, we already went through the selections by conference. Here's, a, here's an interesting one. Um, and this is what I was looking for. I was trying to find for like five years and a little bit bigger sample size. But the Pac-12 included over the past three years, the Pac-12 has had 93 pl- players selected in the NFL draft. That's 2.58 per school um, in the 12-team league. Yeah, so 2.58 per school. That is the third most of any Power 5 conference over the last three years. And the two in front of them, the SEC and the Big Ten. SEC at 4.57, Big Ten 3.14. It doesn't include the numbers for the ACC and Big 12. I'd be curious if those are kind of close to the Pac-12. But this does kind of like the Clemson thing I was saying, where you've got this Trevor Lawrence era that's coming to an end you do expect a big bump this year. And, and that bump does show up when you look back at what's happened the last couple years. Um, I think that that's it. I think that that's it on, um, that stuff, but I do want to run through which CU players have the best chances of being drafted last year or next year. Sorry. My goodness. Um, number one will not surprise you. It's Nate Landman. Uh, but I do have a couple of other names that we'll run through quickly and then i will go to the airport and then to wyoming but first we brought you damn good beer now we're bringing you damn good beef and the beef is so damn good that you can actually get it now you can get wagyu beef right now at the dmvr bar that's right we couldn't resist putting this damn good beef in the bar you all can now come down and build your own delicious Hassle Cattle Wagyu beef burger, at all the toppings you want, and enjoy the watch parties with the finest beer. Um, I actually haven't tried the the hamburger yet, but I am very excited to. I was I was going to do that this week, but just didn't have. I wasn't I wasn't there at a meal eating time. Um, if you haven't heard about Hassle Cattle Company. You're you're missing out. It is the absolute best source for farm-to-table Wagyu beef in the country. Uh, it's a fourth-generation cattle farm out of Texas, but they ship all over the United States and straight to your door. They actually ship across the world too. Um, they had a fifteen-thousand-pound order to Peru, which is just kind of crazy. Like I mean, I guess I don't know what animals. I know they like obviously they have like the alpacas and like the llamas and all that kind of stuff going on in Peru, but they must have. They must have beef, right? Like, there's got to be cows. I don't know. Maybe I guess it's just because this is so good that they get their beef from the United States, from Hassle Cattle Company. Uh, there's so many great products. The the New York Strip, beef bacon, Wagyu Frank, without any fillers. A couple of different jerky flavors, original and sweet and spicy. Uh, Their hamburger won Food Network's Northeast Burger Jam. Again, you can check that out at the bar. Um, And not only do we love their beef, the country loves their beef. These guys take their registered bulls, they breed them with Angus cows, which gives you a very high prime product that is grown with zero antibiotics and hormones. This is the blue collar Wagyu. They call it that because it's the best damn Wagyu that every man or woman can afford. So, Head to Hassle Cattle Company, that's H-A-S, oh sorry, Company.com. that's H-A-S-S-E-L-L, Company.com. and use the promo code DNVR10 for 10% off your order. That's DNVR10 for 10% off, any orders over $200, and you receive free shipping. Check them out, and we promise you will not be disappointed. Also, also. Also, so there we go. Uh, the hits literally keep on coming from one boxing event to the next. that grow in excitement and anticipation. This weekend is no different. Uh, two of the sports most respected fighters are going to be stepping into the ring Saturday night. And there is no better place to get in on all of the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook app. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering all new users a chance at turning $1 into $55. To celebrate this weekend's huge event, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering new users the opportunity to get 55-1 to odds on either main event fighter to win this weekend's fight. That's about $1, and if the fighter of your choice wins, you cash $55. Plus, with basketball and hockey playoffs right around the corner, DraftKings Sportsbook has even more ways for you to make it rain. DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, it's reliable, meaning you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the code DNVR when you sign up because for a limited time, all new users can bet $1 to win $55 on this weekend's main event. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out for new users by offering them the chance to win $55 when placing a bet of $1 on this weekend's big fight. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com/sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. So, um, let's just start with Nate, I guess, uh, as we go through the, the the most likely players to get drafted next year from Colorado. I think that I mean, of course, you start with Nate Landman. Um, he will get drafted next year. Next year is his last year of eligibility, um, and I mean, the question is just how he performs. You know, he, he has the torn Achilles. If not for that torn Achilles, it's probably what he he he's he's a tough one to gauge. Nate, I think that almost if if, if every football coach in the country was being totally honest with themselves. Maybe there's one or two that that wouldn't swap their inside linebacker for Nate Landman Um, because he's that good. And, And I still think that he might just be number one. It'll be interesting this year because you, you look at the numbers from last year. I mean the numbers for the last couple of years and on top of the numbers, you can just see on the field, the impact He was a butt-kiss contender despite playing half as many games as some of the other guys. Um, He's somebody who, when they come out with the preseason butt-kiss watch list, I I mean, I don't think they do it in tiers. It's just going to be like 50 guys. But but he would be top two, top three on that list. I mean, he might actually just come in number one because he does just about everything you need. The one thing he isn't good at is, is coverage. And even that, it's... He's had some ebbs and flows. You know, you look at the stats from a couple years ago. Quarterbacks were not good when they threw at him. Um, I'm not sure how much of that I actually attribute to Nate. And this is something, this is going back to the early days of this podcast. Um, back when people got mad at me for saying Nate was not all that great in coverage. But, uh, yeah, he, he he wasn't, but quarterbacks threw the ball at him anyway. Was Was my read on what happened in the 20... 20- 18 season. Then in 2019, you know, it was kind of more of the same. 2020, I thought he did get just a little bit better, but I also thought that the big change was that he was used more in a way that I would prefer. You know, there was a lot more blitzing on third down, and he's so good at that. He's so good at getting in the backfield that if you are willing to rush five then all of a sudden you don't even have to worry about him in coverage all that much. I mean, you, you want to drop him back occasionally so that you keep him honest. But, yeah. The difference is, in the NFL, the game is different. You know, the, at linebacker, you're going to be stuck covering tight ends. And tight ends in the NFL are they're freaks of nature. And, and covering them is not easy. On top of that, you've got running backs they are the same way. I mean, it's tough to find a landing spot in football where you're just not really worried about it, um, you know, because because of what's in your division. You know, there aren't many divisions that just don't have any good receiving tight ends. You know, the Broncos obviously are not in one with Waller and Kelsey, and I guess Hunter Henry's gone and isn't on that level anyway, but it's tough. It's tough, and, and that to Nate is the big question because he... He he could be a, a second round pick, and and maybe even getting up into that late first round, um, but those questions about the coverage you could also see it knocking him down too far, you know, fifth round, sixth round, and I don't think that's likely. What what's most likely to me is that he's round four, round three, you know, somewhere around that line. Um, it's 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 going to be. Interesting, though, because he's not the style of player that is valued at that position. You know, you look at the linebackers, the first off the board, uh, Micah Parsons, you know, that's that's length and athleticism and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, Nate is a good athlete. Nate is decently long, actually, but not in a way that makes... NFL scouts and executives drool over those traits, which is what they want to do. They want to drool over those traits and then draft those guys. Um, Nate, though, will be a productive player. Again, the question is, do you take him off the field on third downs? Is is he just somebody who, when you're in your base defense, you're 3-4, you're 4-3, he's out there, he's playing the run, and doing a good job doing that. But, on third downs, the most important parts of the game... Are you taking him off the field and replacing him with a safety so that you can get more coverage? And if teams see him as somebody who that is his path, that is what would knock him down. From there, though, you know, there's I mean, I mean, the easy the easy answer is Carson Wells is the next guy up. Um, what, what gives me a little bit of a pause is the fact that he's only going to be a junior this year. Um, at 6'4 250 though, he does have the build to be an outside linebacker, three, four outside linebacker at the next level. Um, he's, he's gotten into, I don't even know what to call it. Like just very, very good shape. You know, he's, he's cut most of the extra weight off. There's a lot of muscle there. He's he's somebody who, unlike a Will Sherman, where your question is, what's his position? Unlike Mustafa Johnson, where you say, Is he big enough? With Nate Landman, can he cover well enough? The questions are not easy to find with Carson Wells. He's incredibly productive. Um, doing so in a power five conference, beating some some very good tackles, and he just became dominant last year. He needs to repeat that dominance to to be somebody who should go to the draft next year instead of taking another year. But there's no reason to think that he won't. Um, The defense isn't changing all that much. If anything, it should benefit him a little bit more. And if he does have another big season, maybe he does climb way up there. He could absolutely climb way up there. Just because, again, there aren't many things that you poke holes in. I am curious to see what the testing looks like, the athletic testing, things like the 40-yard dash. I could see that not being a strength of his. If he runs well and goes through that stuff, that is the question, isn't it? That is the question. It's just the testing with him. And again, he needs to go out there and do it again. Um, but... I, I think that we should expect him to do that. You know, I don't think that that's unreasonable. Um... From there, you know, it gets interesting. Even a guy like Dimitri Stanley, you, you could talk yourself into him finding his way to the next level. I would say no just because there's always so many receivers. You pretty much – you just don't want to leave school early at that position unless you are one of the very best of the best. That's how I see it at least. Um, offensively, I think you look at Kari Kooch. He has a chance. I mean, at this point, not somebody I would say I expect to make that jump, but six five three ten. he was productive last year. If, if he has a, a good season, then he could absolutely be in that conversation. Um, Jarek Broussard, again, he'll technically be a redshirt sophomore this season, so he would be going early. But if he does what he did last year, why not? Why, why couldn't he? There, there's, there's no reason. It's just about replicating it. I do think, though, that it's going to be tougher for Jarek to replicate what he did than Carson. Because, again, nothing is changing with Carson. Everything is the exact same. He's to go do the same thing. With Jarek, twice as many games in the season, you know? So, you're probably not getting as many touches. Is he somebody who... He gets into a rhythm because he gets so many touches. You have Alex Fontenot back. You have Ashad Clayton with a year of experience under his belt. You have Joe Davis with another year of experience under his belt. You don't expect him to be a 30 touch per game guy. At the same time, if he is what he was last year, he should be the the basis of your offense. So I don't know. His path is a little bit tougher. um, But he is the type of running back that I think the NFL really likes. Um, he's, he's speedy. He projects well in the passing game, even though he he didn't do too much there last year. Um, maybe have some doubts about his size. Um, and I guess the big question is, does he actually weigh 185 pounds or is that just what he's listed as? And then of course the, the testing stuff for, for a guy like that, you have to be fast. And if he runs his 40 yard dash and it's disappointing, which happens sometimes with those guys, especially shorter running backs who have shorter legs. Um, you know, he, he's in that conversation, although I would say that I expect him back um, for another year. But, but I think he's more likely to go than Kari Cooch in terms of draft prospects, maybe. Um, defensively, I mean, Isaiah Lewis, I guess he's only going to be a junior again. He could come back for another year, but he's been around so long, and that's going to be an interesting thing that happens is we get to find out how long these guys want to play because this extra year of eligibility, a lot of them might look at as, well, I plan to be here five years, you know, a red shirt and then play four. It's been five years. Technically I have another year of eligibility, but it's time to go get this next opportunity. Um, Isaiah Lewis, the way he played last year, Makai Blackman as well. You could see them getting into that sort of spot. Um, and then up front, probably I mean, Terrence Lang, Jalen Sami, we, we've talked about those guys a lot. Those are the guys you really look at as, you know, they have NFL frames, which, you know, they might not have all of the things that Mustafa had, but they do have that frame, which might make them at this point, similar level prospects. I don't think so, if I'm being honest. But after seeing what the league thought of Mustafa Johnson, I will not be surprised if the league thinks that they are similar prospects right now. Uh, Jalen Sami, he'll be back. This will be... Uh, he, this might actually be his third sophomore year. I'm trying to remember the timeline. I think it's only his second, but he's been here a while. Um, he's probably back for another year, especially because his game needs work. You know, he has the body. He needs to work on the technique and, and the the... the Down-in, down-out effort. Same thing with Terrence Lang. Although Lang is more polished, more productive at this point, he's also going to be a junior. And I think you look at both those guys and say, okay, this year take another step, Terrence. Next year take another step. And then, boom, you're an NFL draft pick. And if things go really well, maybe you can climb up the board a little. Jalen Sami, you know, exact same thing, except maybe he's a year behind in that process. Um... I think that's basically it. You know, the rest of the guys, you don't expect to go yet. You know, you never know who's just going to pop. It could be that, say, trying to find somebody who would have the option. I mean, first of all, you've got guys like Jeremiah Doss, a senior. If he has a big senior year, then sure. Um, Guys like Justin Jackson, a junior junior. So he technically could go hasn't really proven it to this point but who knows maybe he does go out there and, and put together like a 10 11 sack season and then boom of course you're going to have opportunities at the next level Jamar Montgomery a uh, similar place Guy Thomas a similar place um John Van Deest you could if if he is improved in coverage the speed drills pay off again I it all these guys though the odds of them leaving this year that's just not most, I mean, all those guys are more in position where they need to lay the groundwork this year so that next year they can go be real studs and take advantage of whatever opportunity that leads to. Um, I think that's it for now. You know, we'll throw Brady Russell's name in there. Do-it-all guy. I'm really excited to see him. Another guy with another year of eligibility. So, Daniel Arias. I guess he's a junior again, too. He has the tools. He has the tools. If they all come together, then why not?
0: A lot of guys, though.
1: Um, I think that's going to do it for today. I will uh, be back tomorrow with another podcast. I will see you guys then.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform.